I am haunted by fathers, plagued with the unknowing of my fathers. There's the father up there, reigning, ever-present, light as sweet, bubbly air, transparent and radiant, intangible. And, and then there's the father that's back home in Pittsburgh, reigning, ever-present, breath of fire. The phrase, stand tall and carry a big stick, does not apply to him, for he is the big stick, waiting to bear down and bring expletives and tough love syndrome parenting to the table for all of my adolescence. There's a quote from the novel Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk that goes, our fathers were our models for God. If our fathers bailed, what does that tell you about God? That is a really good question. My father never bailed per se, uh, but he was void of emotional expression. At least emotion that didn't involve screaming so loud. It reverberated throughout the house, shaking its already frail and fractured foundation. He only told us he loved my brother and I once which was a week after he kicked the two of us out for not doing enough chores around the house and being disrespectful. Well, I guess angst was just as new of an experience for me as it was for my father to deal with it. As a single parent with two growing boys in the house, a father and two sons, but a house full of boys, not men, nonetheless. Part of me has always thought there's something else going on in this world, something bigger than us, than you and me. And I say that not because I, I don't have faith in humanity or the human spirit. Those are very much alive. But I have always thought this because, well, for a few reasons. One would be things just seem more beautiful knowing there's some sort of reason why you are you. Another would be the idea that love doesn't have to be biased. And acceptance just felt easier when it came to putting it out of your hands and into something bigger and into an idea, spawning and budding something blissful. Another reason I think this way is because it's really scary to think that this is it. This. All around you. This is all you're going to get. And when it's our time to leave it, then that's it. The curtain comes down, the lights fade out and seen. No one wants to die alone, and if they say they do, they're just scared and they're fooling themselves. Some people would argue, what, is this, is this not good enough? 
you know, this vast blue and green sphere hovering and orbiting in a seemingly never-ending ocean of stars, moons, and octopus tentacle galaxies. And to me, I just thought the idea of these millions of different galaxies, paradoxes in the universe, and alternate realities, blah, 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 Stephen Hawking's NASA says this and that, whatever. I mean, well, that feels a lot scarier than saying your life is bigger than just for yourself. I don't know. I'd, I'd like to think fear is minuscule to the point of non-existent when you look around each other and see a, a common goal to strive towards, to love unconditionally, without pretension, pre-planned dispositions or wavering doubt. Toned tapestries filled my mind, wonders of something more, something with pleasantries that couldn't be coated in refined sugar, soaked in hard liquor, or whisked in puffs of gray afterburn. No, I had seen this wonder before, and I can recall, I can recall in years past where I would curse at my God and cry out empty questions left with empty answers. Why am I suffering like this God, I would ask. Why must my mother never feel love again? Why must my father be the master of the house, keeper of chains and a voice like thunder? Why do I fear to utter the word? Why do I hate the word reverberating like ricocheting canyon sonar amongst the free-fall droplets from the stalactites of the caverns, like a rugged IV drip pumping dry silicone-looking life into tired old veins under pained skin and even more pained heartache, the pain in the word? Dad. When I was younger, when I was asked about my thoughts on God, I would tell people, you know, I always call him up, but he never seems to pick up his phone. All I get is his voicemail. I think back on this and wonder if other people have ever felt this way. Felt abandoned by their God. Felt lost and at a loss for words of comfort that they could not receive. My father, my, my yinzer, there's a light there that, that's still burning. Some incandescent filament that, while seared with white-hot heat and corroded on its surface, can still be salvaged. I don't want to make amends by the time I'm 30 and finally get the answers to the questions I've had for him since I was 14. And therein lies the parallel. I don't want to wait until I'm middle-aged and wanting more out of life as this vast reality comes closing in on me in the solitude of these cells, bunched together like bits of cereal in a tapestry of cold, cold milk as I attempt to figure out my place in the atmosphere of carbon copies. That's why I'm here now. To say, 
We got this. We go through trials and tribulations like we do with clothing attire or People Magazine's top five diets. But at the end of the day, we come to a magnificent red door of splendor and welcome. And we usher in this crazy, unbelievable idea that through it all, that other father, he's got us under his wing, his arm, his embrace, his charity. I am haunted by fathers, but I am blessed with perseverance, filled to the brim with enough grace and love to bestow upon the most unfamiliar of strangers so that we may not see what is unfamiliar but what is now sacred, basking in a collage of stellar sweeping seas within each other's eyes. And our family will no longer be enclosed amongst the gleam of stained glass windows, puckering their fruitful hues like Jolly Rancher candies upon our faces. But we shall now scatter and spread ourselves to the far reaches of our humanity and seek and relish in each other's love, outgoing and out loud. Thank you, Connor. So Connor's poem begs the question, who am I? Who am I and who do I let tell me who I am? He talked a little bit about his father and that influence that had in his life. Who am I supposed to be? Who gets to tell me who I'm supposed to be? And I believe that those questions arrest us. I believe that if we're really honest with ourselves, we're thinking about that every day, all the time, even without realizing it. And I believe that many of us need to break out of the answer that we are continually providing ourselves. It's why we're so addicted to the next email and Facebook and Twitter buzz. Do you really care about people's babies and cats? I mean, come on, right? <laughs> You're not looking for that. But we want to know, am I needed? Am I admired? Does someone value my opinion? And it's why we're desperate for the promotion, we're desperate for the leadership invitation or the spot on the team, because that question drives our incessant need for recognition and approval. And we're so eager, we're so eager as humanity to know who we are that we'll let almost anyone or anything tell us, as long as we like what they say. And when we feel like the world is quiet on the subject, we tend to bury our disappointment in things. Maybe it's excessive working or excessive alcohol. Maybe it's exercise or cheese enchiladas. That's, what, that's, that's where I go. Or chocolate. <laughs> because we want so badly to bury that, to bury that feeling. Who are we and who gets to tell us who we are? Those are questions that swirl around in our heads all the time. And I believe there is a force of evil that is decidedly against me. It's decidedly against you. And the nearer that we get to hearing the actual answer to who am I, that evil opposes us. 
The accuser's primary strategy is to get you to believe that you need to prove yourself worthy of being loved, worthy of being affirmed, that you need to be more spectacular than the other people in your life, that you need to be doing more spectacular things. And this isn't a new strategy. Pastor Jason talked about strategies of, of the enemy last week. This isn't new. In fact, this, this great battle that Jesus faced in the desert when he was there for 40 days and 40 nights, he had the same battle, the same question. And I find it so interesting that just before he goes into the wilderness, God, on no uncertain terms, makes sure that Jesus knows who he is. Remember he said, you're my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. He doesn't say like, pack the mace, you know, make sure you bring the stuff, make sure you bring the bungee cord because you're going to have to deal with that. He, he says, just listen, if you know who you are, if you know that you're my child and I love you and I'm pleased with you, it's as if Jesus knew that for us to have victory over our struggles and our temptations, we would confidently need to know who we were. So what do you believe you must do in order to believe that you are loved? Who needs to approve of you? Whose yes must you secure? What project do you need to complete? What position do you need to achieve? What vice do you need to abstain from and for how long? And what will it take? What will it take to break out? What will it take to make us victorious? I want to take us um, to David Today, David was the greatest king on all the, the earth. In fact, he wrote most of the Psalms, which is a book that we're studying in the series right now. But he didn't always know he was the greatest king of all time. Um, I'll take you to 1 Samuel 16. There's this passage of scripture that this is where God starts revealing to David the answer to who are you. David's asking himself, who am I? And God starts revealing that. And in 1 Samuel 16:1, the Lord tells Samuel to fill his horn with oil and be on his way. And God, in that moment, is sending Samuel to anoint a new king. Now, in the Old Testament, um, literally, the, a horn of oil is what they would take, and they would pour it on someone, all over someone, till they were drenched and dripping wet. You would know who was anointed in the Old Testament. Now we just do, like, this little, don't want to get on your clothes thing, okay? And that, that's, that's a symbol of what's happening. But then it was like on a, at the end of a football game when they take the Gatorade pitcher, right? And they're like, and the coach wins, and you know the coaches because he's dripping, sopping wet with ice cubes in his hat. And you know for sure that he is the one that's anointed. He's the one that's set apart. Now, in the New Testament, in 2014, God still anoints. I want to read 2 Corinthians 1.21. It says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. God singles us out. He gives us special favor. He gives us our own Gatorade container. He gives us responsibilities, a powerful presence when he anoints us. And the Holy Spirit acts as a horn of oil that explodes inside. So no longer is it an external thing, but it's an internal thing. John 14, Jesus says, I'll ask the Father and he will send the Holy Spirit to anoint you if you'll believe in me. Just as he sent Samuel to anoint David. And the Spirit will empower you, and the Spirit will equip you, and the Spirit will enable you to function, and the Spirit will anoint you. So who are you? Who gets to tell you who you are? I'm going to give you the answer to that question. Are you glad you came? I'll give you a test. I'll give you the answer to it. Here's the answer. You're anointed. You are anointed. 
If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you receive his Holy Spirit, you are anointed to complete your mission. Okay, say that to the person next to you. I'm anointed to complete my mission. I'm anointed to complete my mission. Now, this doesn't mean that you get to grow your mustache like Pastor Jason without your wife's approval, okay? Yeah, you actually have to get that. This doesn't mean that you get to preach next Sunday. But what this does mean is that who you are is anointed. Who you are is anointed. You can use that word to describe yourself next time because you have access to the Holy Spirit. Your circumstances doesn't change your anointing. Your situation doesn't change your anointing. I want you to preach this to yourself from now on, all summer. Preach it to yourself loud if you want. Preach it to yourself like Gary. Preach it to yourself quiet. Whatever you do, preach it to yourself in a southern gospel accent. I don't care. But preach it to yourself because here's why. People believe very little what you tell them, but they believe everything they tell themselves. So I'm anointed to complete my mission. I had to say that driving here because I was feeling a little nervous. I'm anointed to complete my mission. I'm anointed to complete my mission. You can put your yes on the table before you even realize what God is asking you to do. Because you are anointed to complete your mission. You have everything you need. You're not anointed to complete someone else's assignment, but you are anointed to complete yours because Christ is in you. Okay, so back in Samuel chapter 16, uh, Samuel says, okay, I'll go anoint them. I'll find the new king. I'll empower them. I'll equip them for service. And he goes into Jesse's house, and he has seven sons. And each one passes by, and Samuel says, nope, nope. Nope. Mm, handsome, but nope. Nope. And they all come through. And Samuel says, is there anybody else? I mean, do you have any other sons? And I can just imagine for a moment, all you mothers out there, Jesse's wife standing in the corner. Do I have any? Have you seen the laundry? This is enough. <laughs> I have enough sons. And watch how our afterthought, our afterthought is often God's plan A. You could snap for that one. I think that's it. Right? Our afterthought is often God's plan A. And Jesse says, yeah, I have one more. He's in the field. I mean, he's 10. I didn't even ask him to come in. He was the least likely of all these guys. And David comes tropping in. I mean, you know 10-year-olds, probably sheep stuff on his feet. You know, he comes in the house. And he comes not expecting anything, not seeking position or title and Samuel says, that's him, rise and anoint him. He is the one. And David at 10, year old, 10 years old says yes to the mission before he even knows what God is asking him to do. Yeah, yes, God, yes. And I believe this is what the Holy Spirit will always say. No matter if people like you, no matter if people know you, no matter if people believe in you, it doesn't matter if you're the underdog or the outcast. When the Holy Spirit wants to give you a mission, he says, send for him, send for her. I pick you, you're anointed. And you're anointed to complete your mission. David was left out by others, but he was set apart by God. And that's the second thing. Who are you? You're set apart. Say the person next to you, I'm set apart. The other person, the person you didn't tell that was anointed. I'm set apart. Say it. Say it out loud. Preach it to yourself. I'm set apart. That's right. I really believe this. The majority of us feel in some area of our lives that we are underappreciated. The majority of us have something in our life that no one is noticing the effort we're putting in to fix that relationship. Or no one is noticing that extra mile I'm doing or, or how I'm performing better or how I'm studying harder. 
And I believe that maybe David, get, just get this. Sometimes I think God, is, uh, God says things to us in between the words, right? I believe that maybe David was left out. Maybe he was in the field. They didn't even think to bring him in. Because God himself wanted to show us that it is often the people who are left out. It is the people who are underappreciated. It is the people who are ignored that God appoints for a special purpose. Thank you, Connor. If they were holding an election, David would not have been picked. He was not the homecoming king. But God doesn't consult nominating committees. And I, I just believe so strong in my heart today that somebody needs to hear that. God still doesn't consult nominating committees. When he has a purpose and a plan for your life, he, he appoints you. He anoints you for your mission. He sets you apart. We often answer the question, who are we, by how valued we feel, by how visible we are to the people we deem important. Does the department chair know I exist? Does my boss like me? Does that girl know I'm alive? But God answers, that, who are you isn't answered like that. It's not by visibility. It's not what you see. If you feel undervalued or unseen or unremarkable, if the way, treat, pe the way people treat you makes you feel invisible sometimes, I want to remind you this morning that invisibility is not an indication of unimportance. That David was not forgotten that day. He was set apart. Now about uh, three days ago, it's three o'clock in the morning, and I'm laying in bed, and there's a tap on my shoulder from a little five-year-old named Cecily, and uh, she says, Mom, there are two no-bake cookies left, and if we wake up before Daddy and go down the stairs, we can get them and eat them before he gets them. He is the master of disaster. And I just looked at her and thought, am I dreaming, first of all? And then I thought, you are your mother's child. At 3 o'clock in the morning, she's thinking about chocolate, you know? And so the next morning, that's exactly what we did. <laughs> but how many of you grew up in a, a big family, maybe lots of brothers, lots of kids, or maybe just one very hungry brother? If you really want that donut or that no-bake cookie, you don't leave it in the box, Right? That's crazy town. You, it will be gone instantly. You hide it. You wrap it up and put it in the saran drawer, you know, so you don't even look in there. There's no food in there. Why are you even looking in there? And then you can eat that donut, and it's yours. Because we hide things that are valuable. We hide things that are valuable. And that is the truth about every body of Christ. It's not just, I don't just show up here and put on a microphone and this happens. Someone vacuums, someone's changing diapers right now so that parents can listen. The worship team practices and they organize music. You invite somebody next to you. The media team makes everything sound good and look good. And other things are done. You get it just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's insignificant. And so with that truth, can we stop wasting energy trying to get people to notice us? Because God knows who you are. God knows where you are. And God deems you important. God deems you valuable. And you don't have to listen to anyone else to tell you who you are. So David's anointed. And it's, it's this big day. And time has passed. And uh, the scripture doesn't record a little bit. Sometimes it, it goes a little silent. And the very next time that we see David is in 1 Samuel 16, verse 19. I'm going to read it to you. It says this. Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. Where's David? He's with the sheep. Okay, I don't know about you, but I thought he'd be like, 
getting fitted for armor or on the float in the middle of Main Street. I'm the new king, you know, or planning what video game to purchase for all the other 10-year-olds. Whatever. We thought that he was dreaming about it. He was thinking about it. He's probably starting to pick out the furniture in the palace. Send me in. Pick me. I just got anointed. But God sends David right back to the sheep in the field. And the very next time we see David, he's dripping with anointing but smelling like sheep. When we think about having a greater anointing, I think we often think, I'm going to get a new job. I'm going to quit the one I'm at. Whoa, whoa, don't, okay. <laughs> you know, wait till you get a new one. I'm going to become the worship leader. I can't sing, but I'm going to. Um, I'm, I'm never going to make that mistake again. I put my mind to it. I have a new anointing. I'm going to move to a new place that's sunnier. <laughs> I'm going to change my major, whatever. But I believe what God is saying in the scripture by sending David back to the sheep is this. He wants to give you a greater anointing for the activity that you are doing right now. He wants to give you a fresh anointing, a fresh dose of power for the life that you're living right now. And by God sending David back out to the sheep, he is saying, I want you to tend sheep like a king. God anoints us. He tells us who we are. He gives us victory to break out. And then he says, I want you to be an art student, anointed like a king. I want you to love your sister like a king. I want you to stay in that crummy job and act like a king. I want you to run those marathons with anointing like a king. I want you to volunteer at the animal shelter like a king. I want you to put your yes on the table like a king. Because if the anointing is in you, you can take it to any place. You can take it to any dirty, dark, frustrating, godless place, and you can make it anointed. Nothing might be changing about your mission or your life in the next few months or the next few years. My daughter is still going to throw Cheerios on the floor, probably for another who knows how long. But a new anointing can change everything. A new anointing can change everything. Because we need more of the power of God for persistence in our current situation. And what if God wants you to do the same old stuff with a brand new passion? With an awareness of who you are. With a clearer sense of purpose and a greater sense of power. Now much of the life of King David is shown in the scripture. He has his ups and downs. He has moments of walking in his anointing. He, as a king, he has moments of serious, deep failure. And for a good portion of his life, he's being chased and pursued by enemies. Um, probably not just physical, I would imagine, but emotional and spiritual as well. But when God calls you a king at 10 years old, you're a king. And despite David's failures, despite his own lousy decisions and the circumstances he found himself in, he could answer very clearly who he was and who gets to tell you who you are? I want to go to Psalm 2. And David writes this. This is years later. He's been through all kinds of wars and Saul chasing around with a spear and all kinds of, uh, of situations. And he's been in love and out of love and in lust and out of lust. And he's lived a lot of life. And here's what he writes. Psalm 2, verse 1, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. He's calling himself that. He remembers. 
He remembers that day so clearly. And they're saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Then he goes on to say, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger. He terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Meaning, God made me king. So I just, that, that's who I am. I'm sorry. That, actually, I'm not sorry. That's who I am. That's where I stand. I'm anointed. I'm set apart. I have a mission. And I'm going to do it. And I'm going to fail and I'm going to fall and I'm not going to work it out sometimes, but I'm going to do it. It's as if David is preaching to himself. God is my father. All right. God anointed me to complete my mission. Nothing can stop it, even my own ridiculous things. Even when I feel forgotten, I am set apart. I don't need a new mission to say yes to God. I can put my yes on the table without even knowing what God is asking me to do because I'm anointed to complete my mission. And I can reject the lies of the enemy's voice and hear God's voice answering the question of who I am through my trials, like Connor talked about, and like David did. And I can put my yes on the table before I even know my mission because God tells me who I am. So this week I want to challenge you to live it out. I want to challenge you to live it out like a king. Whatever your current circumstance is. If you look on your, if you have your sermon, um, your insert there. The first thing I want to challenge you to do is preach it to yourself. I'm anointed, I'm set apart. Sometimes you got to say it until you believe it, right? I'm anointed, I'm set apart, I'm anointed, I'm set apart. Number two, speak life into two other people this week, by text, by email, in person, whatever. Remind them that they're anointed and set apart for the mission that God has purposed for them. Even if they don't know what it is, that God has purposed them for that mission. Third, get in the word, read 1 Samuel 16 and Psalm 2 and see how the life of David progresses. And even as he goes from getting anointed to all these things that are happening, and then he realizes he is still the anointed. He is still knows who he is. And fourthly, in your um, sermon insert there, on the back it has this big old yes. Do you see that? You know, sometimes for me, I have to do something physical so that my spirit knows I'm serious. And I want you to sit with God this week, wherever that is. That, might, that looks so different for all of us. For me, it's in between fights over the iPod and... You know, like the dog's barking. I don't even have a dog, but I'm sure that's ha- Whatever. Like all this stuff's happening. It's chaos all the time in my house. And I just sit there and, and, and I pray in between things. And I just say to God, here's my yes. It's on the table. I'll just do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I have no idea what it looks like. But God, send me because I'm anointed to complete my mission. I'm set apart. And at least I'll know who I am when I get there. I might not know anything else. And so on Thursday night, we talked about this at Kylefa. And it was so awesome because about 150 students took a a piece of paper just like that that said yes on it. And they came up to the front and they put it on the table in symbol and in surrender that, God, whatever it is, whatever you want me to do, I don't even know it yet, but I know I'm anointed and I know I'm set apart. And I want you guys to follow their lead. These guys right over here, they look a little tired because it's finals week, but follow their lead. Because we know that when we know those things, God has put us in a position to serve him and to do big things for him. So will you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for each man and woman in this room. And I thank you, Lord, that through the life of David, you have taught us so many things. 
Father, you have taught us that you have called us to be anointed, that you have called us to be set apart, God, that we can say yes to the mission before we even know all of the details of it. Lord, that as we're about to hear, God, that there are people that have gone before us that have said yes to that mission, and, and we can walk behind them so that people behind us can walk faithfully. And God, we can leave a legacy of influence. God, I thank you for students like Connor and, and other students here today that have chosen to say yes to God no matter what, no matter what happens, God, because they can trust you. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would increase our trust and increase our identity in who we are. God, it's in your name I pray. Amen.